Have any of you ever had this dilemma? A couple weeks ago, I was meeting with a sales guy, and it was one of those things where, you know, I didn't, I didn't really want the spiel, but, you know, he seemed young, and I wanted to encourage him. You wanted to just like, yeah, get, you know, put yourself out there. You can do it. You can make it. Uh, and so he started to go through his thing, and he had food in his beard. <laughs> and I'm plunged into this internal dilemma. Do I say something? I don't want him to be embarrassed. What if this is his first day on the job and he just ruins it for him and he just, you know, he goes home and he just is so upset that he couldn't get this figured out and he didn't make the sale and it was because he has food in his beard and I, I should just let it go. Yeah, that's the plan. I'm going to do that. I'm not going to pay any attention. I'm just going to pretend there's not a big chunk of food in his beard. And then I thought, but the problem is, is what if he goes on about his day and either somebody else tells him about it or he's, he sees himself in a mirror and he realizes he has a chunk of food in his beard and then he's going to rewind it throughout his day and he's going to think about all the people he interacted with and all the people who didn't say anything and he's going to be like, well, there was that one guy that worked at that one church and if anybody should have said something, it was him and he didn't and I'm just going to give up on Jesus and Christianity altogether. <laughs> Maybe catastrophizing a bit. A real quick poll, how many of you would just ignore it? Just raise your hands if you would ignore it. All right, oh, very good, very good. How many of you would be like, I'm saying something. I'm bringing this kid down a notch. Yes, you guys are mean. How many of you are lying because you're like way tough in here, but if you were in the moment? Yeah, see, that's a lot of the problem too, is that we're, we're, we, we think we're a lot more tough than we are, but you get in the situation, you know what I'm talking about? You get in the moment and all that toughness. Have you ever been relaying a conversation with a friend and you couldn't believe, I can't believe they said this to me. And so I was like, and I did this and I did this other thing. And the friend is like, did you say that? And you're like, well, no, but I thought it, you know, <laughs> I wanted to say it later when I thought about it. We've been exploring genius advice from the book of Proverbs about friendship. Just genius. Like the more you dwell on it, the more you think about it, you're like, wow, this is amazing stuff. And it helps every friendship, every relationship really. In fact, it even helps parenting and marriage relationships, but it really is applicable to friendship. So two weeks ago, we talked about how friendship is tough, but a lot of us don't really have the friends that we probably should have. Remember three out of 10 said they experienced serious loneliness. And we said that that was probably on the low end of reality. Um, and then last week, we talked about what it's like when you're trying to develop a burgeoning friendship and you keep having these interactions where you're offended by something and you're bothered by something and how we can just kind of overlook that. Proverbs tells us that. This week, this is, uh, we're going to look at several verses. They're all out of Proverbs 27, which I thought was pretty interesting. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Proverbs 27, 9, perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from his heartfelt advice. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So here's the bottom line. We're just going to jump right in. Here's the bottom line. Good friends say hard things. Good friends say hard things. Your best friends in your life have probably been people who have said difficult things to you that you didn't want to hear, but needed to hear, maybe didn't respond well in the moment, but needed someone to love you to that degree. Good friends say hard things because everyone needs something. I saw a headline that said the world record for the fastest marathon was broken 
last Sunday, so just one week ago, the, a guy ran the fastest marathon that has ever been run. So his name was Eliud Kipchonge. Uh, I got a picture of him. And just look at the joy on his face because he knows it. He knows he's broken the world record. And kind of the cool thing is guess whose world record he broke? His own, you know, how cool would be that? Like, he's like, I beat myself, you know? In fact, this is a little off topic and I won't dig into this too much. He actually, so he ran this marathon in two hours, one minute and nine seconds. That's pretty fast. Some of us could not bike that fast. We, we, some of you do not drive that fast. You could not be 26.2 miles away. And I know how some of you drive. So this guy's fast. He actually, this is a true story. He actually ran a marathon under two hours, but it didn't count because he had guys running with him, pacing him, and he had guys who would come along and give him like refueling things. So it wasn't like an official race, even though he's run it in under two hours, which is crazy. Like I love the look on his face. This is crazy how fast this is. He is so fast that if we all ran the marathon, he would be done. He would have watched all three Lord of the Rings movies, read War and Peace before we're crawling across the finish line or being dragged by our friends. That's how fast it is. And I tell you that because he is the greatest marathon runner in the world as of right now until he breaks his own record again. He's the greatest marathon runner in the world. By the way, he's 37, which I thought was kind of cool because sometimes we think all this stuff belongs to the young guys. But nope, you can be a little older and some of you are like, 37 is not old. That's still pretty young. I get it. I get it. But anyway, uh, I tell you that. But in a post-run interview, he's like, I'd like to thank my coach. And I'm like, what? You're the best in the world? You're the fastest person to ever. Who is out there that is looking at you saying you can do it faster? Who's giving you advice? You are the best. You are the top of the top. How do you have someone that's coaching you? What in the world do they tell you? Even, see, this is the thing. Even the best need someone. Even the very best. I got this picture I want to show you because I thought it was funny. It's, um, it's actually from a, a tweet that someone said, this is an Olympic swim, swimmer, and if you can't read the text at the top, it says, if, you've ever, if you ever feel useless, just remember that someone is a lifeguard at the Olympic swimming event. Have a great week. And you can, I just love the picture because the lifeguard's sitting there like, I don't got anything to do. And I was, I was curious about that. Is it they really do have swimmers at Olympic swimming events? Yeah, they do have, uh, or lifeguards at Olympic, they have swimmers for sure. They do have lifeguards at Olympic swimming events. They do, and, uh, and it's interesting because they actually need the lifeguards because these swimmers are pushing themselves to the very extreme. They struggle with things like holding their breath too long and passing out in the water. They struggle with cramps, I mean, all kinds of stuff. Yes, you have to have a lifeguard even if you are the best swimmer that has ever existed. Everybody needs someone. Even the best needs someone. I, you remember being back in high school and thinking, man, when I'm 20, I will have it all figured out. <laughs> remember that? You remember that? And you got to be 20 or 21 maybe, and you're like, you know, by the time I'm 25. And then you got to be 25, and you're like, those 30-year-olds, I think they've got it figured out. I just had a birthday that was divisible by, uh, by five, and I'm still thinking like, ah, by the time I get to the next big one, that's when I'll figure it out. And turns out, I didn't call him this week, but I'm, I'm kind of guessing, I don't, I'm not sure, but I was going to ask Leon, like, Leon, do you have it all figured out? Absolutely not. Le Pam, 
Pam, do you think Leon has it all figured out? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Masterclass in sarcasm, right there. <laughs> listen, I know none of us are thinking, listen, my character, my faith, my parenting, my spousing, I know that's not a word. I, you know, none of us are thinking I'm an elite level Olympian version of a Christian. I, I could probably teach the apostles a thing or two. I think most of us are kind of like, hey, I'm not the best, but this is as good as it's going to get. I, I, I've reached the peak of my abilities. This is as good as it's going to get. Let me say two things to that. One, that is spiritual apathy. That's what that is speaking right there, spiritual apathy. This is as good as it gets. Because what you've discovered is you pushed up against something difficult and said, I'm not willing to expend the energy to go further. That's spiritual apathy. But two, that probably means you either haven't invited the right people into your lives or you aren't listening to the fact that they're challenging you to say that you can do more. You can be better. You can go deeper in your faith. You can go deeper in your spiritual life, in your parenting, in your being a husband or being a wife. I'm going to say something I've said before. You've heard it before. And yet every time I say it, every time you hear it, you get offended. But the Bible said, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And I consider myself your friend. You cannot follow Christ alone. You cannot do it. I know some of you think you can. You think, I, I kind of, I got my Bible. I got my podcasts. I listen to a little Christian music in the car. I really got all I need. And you cannot follow Christ alone. And here's the thing. You're probably like, well, show me in the Bible. Well, here's what you can do. You can open up your Bible to the New Testament and you can throw a dart and you can just pick any verse because over and over and over again throughout scriptures does it repeat this idea that you cannot follow Christ alone. You cannot do it alone. Even the best need someone. Let me give you an example. Galatians 6, chapter 1, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person. Gently restore them. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. And he says, carry each other's burdens. And look, look at this. And in this way, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Interesting. Not by getting up early and reading your Bible, although that's a wonderful thing. Not by praying more, although we should do that. Not by putting more in the offering box, although you should definitely do that. But he says, by bearing one another's burdens. Because you cannot do it alone. You cannot do it alone. Now, some of you are racing through the objections in your mind, like, well, no, what is, what? I'm not sure, I, I don't know if I buy that. I'm telling you. You can read scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture. And I can tell you as a church leader who's seen it over and over again, the more you separate yourselves from the body of Christ, the weaker and weaker you will get until you eventually fade away. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? I'm telling you. I'm telling you, this is the way it works. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. That's hard, isn't it? It's hard. We just want to be independent. We want to do our own thing. We don't want to have to worry about anybody else. But listen, this is important. It's not just you that need other people. Your kids need other people. 
your kids need other adults who can speak into their lives and tell them good things and model good things for them and show them the truth and you need advice about how to parent those kids. Your spouse needs other people in their life. It married, you, there's marriage problems that are nearly impossible to solve without outside input. Someone coming along and saying, let's get a little perspective here. Did you know, I thought this was interesting. I don't know why I've never brought this up before, but did you know it's Minnesota state statute that you get a discount on your marriage license if you, before you get married, you come talk to someone like me or a marriage counselor or a marriage therapist. The state of Minnesota thinks that you need outside help to have a good marriage and they'll give you a discount on your marriage license if you do 10 hours of, uh, of counseling. Isn't that interesting? The state, this is the, this, we're not even talking about the Bible here. We're not even talking about God. The state of Minnesota thinks that. Lots of states think that. Proverbs has a word for people that think they can navigate life alone. Remember, I'm telling you hard things, right? We're, we're talking about hard things. Do you know what the word Proverbs uses for someone that doesn't think they need advice or counsel from anybody else? Fool. You know what the modern translation of that word is? You're stupid. I'm not kidding. That's the modern translation of that word. Proverbs, the author of Proverbs says, you're stupid if you think you can do it alone and you don't need any help and you don't need any advice and you don't need to put yourself underneath people who care about you and love you and will gently restore you when you're struggling. That's what Proverbs says. Isn't that interesting? That's tough, right? That's tough. You need friends who can cause good pain. Parents, um, have you ever had to pull a child's tooth? Have you ever had to do that? You remember? <laughs> Um, it's just dawning on me right now that maybe other families don't do this. Maybe other families take their children to the dentist and have, pay someone to do it, but not in the Doherty household. In the Doherty household, we do this crude dentistry ourselves. And it's just the moments like this are so tough, you know, because you got your kid on the couch and you got their head in a headlock, right? Because... <laughs> If they squirm away, you can't do the right job. And I don't use pliers very often, but I, I try to wait till it's, it's loose enough. But the kid, the kid kind of, they want that tooth out. They want this, but they're fighting it. The whole exchange is really tough because they want it. You don't want to do it. They don't want to have it, but you want to do it. You want, it's just like this whole crazy mess. You're promising rewards. You're reaching in their mouth. Your child is shouting. It's quite an experience. You should have kids. It's great. <laughs> One of the hardest things as a human being is to cause good pain. It's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing as a parent to do. My mom, well, let me just say that the, the parents that raised me believed in corporal punishment. And I know spanking is passe now, but there's a little line that uh, my parents would recite. I don't want to throw any of them under the bus, but anyway, my mom did all the spanking. Anyway, <laughs> I think I got spanked once by my dad, but he wasn't sure what was going on. <laughs> He's like, I, your mom told me to. I don't know what's happening. Um, Anyway, anyway, my mom would always say, this hurts me more than it hurts you, right? You know that? Have you ever, parents, you ever use that line? This hurts me more than, it, more than it hurts you. And I was like, that can't possibly be true because I'm the one being spanked here. But what they were trying to communicate was that, hey, this, I'm trying to cause good pain. I, I don't really enjoy this. I want you to know that, but I'm trying to cause good pain. 
Proverbs 27, verse 6, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I meant to bring knives up here, and I forgot. They're in my office. I've had these two, like, butcher knives in my office all week, and people keep walking in by, like, what's that sermon illustration? Don't worry about it. And then I walked up here without them. But anyway, imagine I had two knives, right, in my hands. And the way I envisioned this iron sharpens iron verse, now, I'm not a big knife guy. I don't carry knives on me. I don't always have a knife at the ready. Um, but imagine I have these two knives. I would read this verse, and I guess, I, I guess it's something like you clang the knives together, and they get sharper. Is that right? Yeah, see, I was going to say, some of you are like, that's not how it works, right? And that, but that's what I envisioned happening in this verse, because I don't know anything about knives, you know, just banging them together. So people tell me that's not how it works, but it involves like heat and grinding and sometimes a metal hammer and you beat out the dull edges. It sounds like a painful experience. It doesn't sound like a fun thing. I just thought it was kind of sparring with one another. No, it, it involves a lot of pain, a lot of friction, a lot of difficulty, a lot of challenge. And at the risk of overextending the metaphor, I, I, I kind of think of like a, a logger who's chopping down trees and he's got his axe and he's felling trees left and right and this axe is a useful tool. It's a valuable tool. It's doing, this axe is doing exactly what it was designed to do, what it was intended to do. It is fulfilling its purpose. But over time and maybe misuse or just life, the axe starts to get dull and it can still sort of chop down trees but it gets really hard. And it, it gets really difficult, and it's not doing a very good job, and it can't do what it's designed to do, and it can't fulfill its purpose until someone comes along and takes that and maybe heats the metal up and grinds it on a wet stone or beats it with a hammer. It has to be brought back to its useful state. And, and let me ask you, have you as a human being, maybe particularly as a Christian, have you ever gotten to the place in your life where you do not feel like you are living the way you were designed to live? Where you don't feel like you're living with the purpose that you know God has instilled in all humanity. Where you don't feel useful. You don't feel good. You're going through life, but it is a slog to get through each day, to get through each week. And maybe you begin to live for specific moments that just bring you a little bit of relief. What Proverbs is saying is that you need someone to come along and do the hard work of bringing you back into usefulness. You need that community to sharpen you up and to grind you down and to bring you back and then all of a sudden you feel great again. I've seen this happen like as a parent. Sometimes I'll be parenting and I'll, like, I'll get confused about what matters and what's important and then I'll see another parent and it re-inspires me. Oh, that's what parenting is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be half paying attention to your children while you're scrolling through social media. That's what it's like. I, it was painful to be reminded of that, but I see it. Or a husband or a wife just to be reminded of what it is to be useful and valuable. You require people to come into your life to say, this isn't right. This isn't good. You're, you're not being the parent, the person, the Christian that I know you want to be. And then to gently restore you back into usefulness. Maybe, maybe it's sin in your life. And you got someone that just needs to say, quit messing around. Just quit it. You're never going to win that battle with sin if you allow it to have that role in your life. Let me share, I, there's a couple Bonhoeffer quotes. Let me share just one more real quick um, as we talk about this. He says, nothing can be more cruel than the leniency 
which abandons others to their sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community, very crucial point, in one's community, back from the path of sin. I just thought of a bunch of verses, and I just am going to limit to a few, but Hebrews 10.24 says, spur one another on. Imagine if I had a knife. This is how I envision saying this verse, but spur one another on. It's just someone like poking you with that knife. Spur one another long to love and good works. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. That's a wonderful thing to see someone going down a path and to be a part of bringing them back. Or Revelation 2.19. By the way, we covered this in our Wednesday class. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about Revelation, Wednesday nights right in here. We covered this first where Jesus, through John, said, those I love, I rebuke. We need that in our lives. So we know we need people. We know we need people to say hard things. But how does this whole thing, how does this whole thing work? Corrine, my wife, is my directness interpreter. Because I'm a real beat-around-the-bush kind of guy when it comes to saying something difficult. I'll give you a quick example. Uh, my, my kids will say something like, Dad, can we get a pony? And I'll say, well, you know, I, don't, I haven't, need to think about it a little bit. Maybe you need to talk to your mom. And I don't know, ponies, that's a lot. I, you know, and my wife will say, hey, what your father is trying to say is no. <laughs> and this is true. Sometimes she'll say, Patrick, here, you need to practice this skill. Say it with me. No. It's just one syllable. You can do it. No. Because that's just not my thing. I don't, like, I don't like that. I don't like the conflict and the directness. I don't, want, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, right? And so the real problem is that I think, oh, I'm just being nice, and I'm really just being a coward. You know what I mean? That's usually what's happening, disguised as niceness. But here's the thing with this whole, with this whole situation. If someone, is, if someone is spurring you on to love and good works, and they've got that knife, remember this visual that I was really excited to have that I forgot to bring with me, but it, or an axe, and they're like, I want to I wanna help that person, and they come charging at you with an axe for your good, or a knife for your good, and you're like, mm, that looks exactly like someone charging at me with an axe or a knife, not for my good. How do I distinguish between when it's blessing me and cursing me how do i tell like how do we navigate this really difficult moment of conflict how do we do that i mean because some of you are eager to say hard things you're eager to do it we don't really want to hear from you you're like a maniac walking around with a knife trying to find people to stab that's scary for a lot of us and we avoid you because you're too eager to do that Some people call themselves truth-tellers, and they're just lunatics. (laughs) And sometimes we do this, too. Sometimes Christians hold non-Christians to Christian standards. That's a weird dynamic, isn't it? You're not doing what Jesus said you should do. I don't really like Jesus. Uh, Well, you still should do what Jesus said to do. Like, wait, so let's work on some other things first before we get there. And if you're not eager, but you see a need, it's really hard to know how and when and where, because it's really easy to talk yourself out of it. It's really easy to talk yourself out of it. So let me give you some best practices, because you have thoughts, but you don't know how to share them wisely. And you hear criticism, but you don't know how to take it humbly. So let's just, as we wrap up this morning, let's talk about just real quickly a few best practices. Let's say that you're giving hard feedback. You're trying to cause good pain. I would just say this. Number one, if you're motivated by anything other than love, 
don't. Just don't. Just pause. I'm not saying that what you're saying isn't true or it isn't right, but that lack of love is going to come out. People are going to see that. That's why Paul said, speak the truth in love. But secondly, if you're giving it, I would say talk yourself into it rather than out of it. And maybe I'm speaking more to myself here because this is something that I would do, just talk myself right out of giving advice because oh, they don't want to hear from me or my life's a mess and I don't know. Talk yourself into it rather than out of it. Why? Because better is open rebuke than hidden love. What would I want someone to tell me? And then if you're receiving this painful love, I would say a couple things. Number one, listen. Listen. Listen to the criticism that you're hearing. Maybe they're not doing it perfectly, but listen for the heart of what they're saying. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, the way of a fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. It's at least recognize that someone cares about you. But then secondly, I would suggest that we should ask. When we're hearing it, like ask. Let me clarify. What are you saying? Are you saying this? Or ask. Or maybe even get a second opinion. You can go talk to another person you trust and say, hey, is that true? Is that right? Do you see that in my life? You can ask. Get clarification. So let's wrap up by saying this. Number one, we need people. You need people. If you've bought into the lie that you don't, I just want to remind you that that's a lie. You need people. You need people to say hard things to you. If you just want to be around people that only affirm you, only say good things, those people may not have your best interests at heart. And finally, you need to be that for somebody. You need to be that person. There's someone in your life that you need to, you need to love and you need to affirm and you need to counsel and you need to encourage, but maybe you need to rebuke and admonish and challenge and push back and call them back from the error of their ways. One of the ways we do this here at Woodbury is we have a ton of small groups, small groups all throughout the week. And I know a lot of you are like, I don't need another thing to do in my life. But listen, I'm telling you, being in community is probably more valuable than the ways you're spending that time anyway. Finding yourself in community and developing the sort of relationships that will allow for the challenge is where you need to be. That's where you need to be. This is such a good way for us to find ourselves in relationship with people who can provide that good pain. We're saying that we want good things for you, and that's what a church community needs to be, that we care about you. And sometimes those good things are going to be hard things. Some of you probably already know the hard things you need to hear. And if somebody comes along and says it, well, that's good. That's affirmation that the Spirit of God is working in your life. We need people that will say hard things to us, and sometimes we need to be those people as well.